Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hello everyone. The latest edition sadly has to dissect an Ireland loss at the Rugby World Cup. It's it's almost funereal, the atmosphere, but uh, we'll try to inject some positivity into it. And of course, I've got to at least mention the departure of Wales from the Rugby World Cup. And I think it's behoves me also to mention through gritted teeth that, and Nathan will correct me if I'm wrong, that England are A, still in the World Cup, that's definitely right, and B, they are the only unbeaten team in the the whole of the championship, which given how absolutely crap they are, is a remarkable statistic. Anyway, I am joined again by Nathan Johns, journalist with the Irish Times, to talk about the various games over the weekend, not just the disappointing result of the Irish game. It was one heck of a game of rugby, as indeed was at least one of the other quarterfinals, of course, the France-New Zealand game and another tournament favourite. I think your favourite, Nathan, was France right at the very beginning. Couldn't have been closer. So where do you want to start? Which quarterfinal should we dissect first? Yeah, it was incredible. Incredible 48 hours of sport. Um, I think last night, obviously Monday morning, that that game was, it probably did surpass the Ireland game in terms of a spectacle, just that opening 40 minutes where France were as brutally physical and efficient and had the perfect game plan for their strengths to counter South Africa. It's as best, it's as well as I've seen anybody counter what South Africa are good at ever in this iteration of this dominant South African team over the last four years. Um, and the question was whether they could sustain it into the second half. They couldn't. South Africa's famed bomb squad came on and France couldn't deal with it. But, of course, the cruel irony of that is France should have been 20, 30 points up at half time. They made three mistakes in that first half and um, two, two from catching high balls, one from a knock-on. And South Africa 
scored three times. It was incredibly, if we always talk about efficiency and more often than not, the biggest determiner of a rugby match is who attacks the most efficiently, not necessarily who attacks the most. Um, we saw two, and we saw two quarterfinals where South Africa and New Zealand didn't attack anywhere near as much as their opposition, but attacked far more efficiently. Granted, South Africa probably had a little bit more luck on their side with those the way the, the bounce of the ball went with those French mistakes, and both of those sides won. It's it's difficult because from a purist's point of view, I think you want the more adventurous uh, sides who are making that attacking physical challenge in the way Ireland and, and France did to to prevail you you know for the good of the game almost you want that style of rugby to be to be what comes out on top but um I guess at that level it's just it's it's two or three moments that's uh, that, that 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 decide games and and more often than not if, if you're more efficient you come on the right side of those moments which is exactly what happened efficiency is a relatively new concept for many people in rugby I suspect that when we're not used to so many games, or at least games at this level being so tight, um, that's the reason. I mean, we've during all the pool stages, efficiency didn't really come into many games because the points gap was just so big. It was just a question of, you know, the, the sides that did attack the most, even if they made a few mistakes, still won by a truckload of points. At this level, when you have teams operating at very similar levels of rugby across all the various ways in which you would measure that efficiency then becomes incredibly important but how do you know in advance whether you are an efficient team or not that's a, almost a rhetorical question i'm thinking it through listening to what you say because what what that actually means is that as a rugby playing team if you if you back yourself to be efficient you're saying okay we're as good as, as they are they're as good as we are we're just going to play a style of rugby that means that a we're not going to make any mistakes and b the two or three mistakes that they are bound to make at some point in their game, we're going to score a try off. That's really backing yourself, isn't it? It is. And I think it it, it comes down to selection. I mean, South Africa pick two wingers and probably a fullback as well, who are completely electric. Um, Cheslin Colby and Curtly Aronsa on the wings and Damien Willemse wasn't as prominent for South Africa, but you know he did have a good kick in behind for one of the, the scores off, off turnover ball. So they they pick, they pick. Everyone always says South Africa waste their wingers, but if anything, it's in their interest to pick the most elusive, the fastest, the most skillful wingers possible because their game plan relies on it. Because they need those efficient scorers, and they were deadly um, last night. So part of it is right. Who do we pick to take advantage of these opportunities? Whereas a team like Ireland picks wingers that are more. Yes, they're still good finishers, but they're more ball players. So, you know, James Lowe and Mack Hansen are brilliant footballers, to use that old-fashioned term. I always think it's hilarious. Rugby, if, in rugby, if someone is good or with ball in hand and skillful, you call them a footballer for some reason, even though it's we're talking about handling skills. Anyway, but that's by the by. So part of the old-fashioned name, of course, is rugby football. Yeah, of course. It's, it's a very old-fashioned term. Anyway, distractions aside, South Africa pick the most just elusive ball runners possible that's their game plan they don't need their wingers to be to be footballers so to speak so that's part of it you know if you pick supreme athletes on those flanks who make good decisions more often than not you've got you've a good chance of being efficient because those guys will finish the chances when they come um and part and part of it is just that's how you're set up it's it's a south africa just go right well and to a lesser extent new zealand 
it worked for them on Saturday. It arguably shouldn't. We'll get onto that, I'm sure. I going back over it and looking at numbers as I normally do. I think they did. No, they not not they got away with it, but you know they did take a gamble and it paid off. Whereas South Africa, it's less of a gamble because they just know we're going to pick eight forwards who are bigger than your eight forwards, and we're going to pick five. They only picked five. Normally they pick six forwards on the bench who are also bigger than your five or six forwards on, on your bench and that's exactly what happened and if you I know it was it was Eben Etzebeth who wasn't a substitute he wasn't part of the bomb squad who scored the, the winning try for South Africa but that entire passage of play came from the front row winning the replacement front row winning a scrum penalty the, the South African front row completely dominated the French scrum and that just killed any attacking opportunities that France had in that second half and then the two or three carries leading up to that try were all I think it was Dion Faree, the replacement hooker slash back row, was very prominent. Um, one of the other replacements was very prominent, and it was just Etzbeth who happened to finish it off. But the entire France pack got sucked in by two or three fresh, physical ball carriers. Uh, who And that's what South Africa do. They just say, right, we're just going to pick between 14 to 15, yeah, even 15 sometimes, when they pick seven forwards on the bench, as they did against Ireland. 15 massive, not so, not so much massive, but dynamic, athletic men who are all... Six foot, 120 kilos, at least. So as a result of that and some other decisions, not least the the old cliche that you can't sustain the most remarkable 40 minutes that I've ever seen, the first half, you couldn't sustain, no human team. Well, let, let, let's get into that very quickly. Because it, is, it is worth highlighting exactly what France did, which was fascinating. If I asked you, you know, even non-rugby nerdy aficionados, if you got asked, what are South Africa good at? Probably the two answers you'd give are lightning line speed and defense. Yes. And really dangerous at the breakdown. They just flood and create chaos and make it difficult for referees to adjudicate. And they know, you know, you throw enough shit at the wall, some will stick. You'll break up enough. You might get penalized a lot, but you'll break up enough attacks that it's worth your while. That's what they did. France just said, right, we're going to completely eliminate those by doing two things. One, our attacking breakdown is going to be incredibly violent and and efficient and just you're not going to get an opportunity to go anywhere near it, which they did. France are not as big as South Africa. They're probably the second biggest side in the world. And with that 40-minute intensity, they were able to blow them out of the water like that physically going forward. Worked brilliantly. South Africa couldn't slow the ball down at all. The other thing they did was the ball didn't go wide. It didn't touch the out-half's hands in attacking play for France. They played exclusively off nine, which meant they were very narrow. That completely eliminates South Africa's line speed. Line speed only works if your wingers and centers are coming up and they're hitting your out half center wing in the, as soon as he catches the ball. If you're just only going to a forward close to the ruck, you don't have the same distance to rush up and and hit into somebody. And you add that to lightning quick ruck speed and it's impossible to get that line set. So it was really simple. But France said, the, the other key part about this, France had the personnel for that. The French tight head prop, Winnie Antonio, the, the very large gentleman with the long beard, who's about 145 kilos, he carried arguably more than he ever has done in a French jersey because they said, he's our biggest forward. We're just going to give him give him quick ball every single time. And it doesn't matter who you have who's tackling him. He will get over the game line every time, which means, A, you can't get breakdown pressure. B, you can't get line speed. So it was very clever. The problem is someone like that can only play for 40 minutes, 50, 45, 50, if you're lucky, once he comes off, once a few other forwards come off for South, for France, they just didn't have the depth. Do you think there's a law of nature that fellas that size and, and indeed sometimes smaller because it, it is a, a rule of thumb that seems to be 80-90% applied in every top level game 
that after about 50 or so minutes, 60 minutes top, the front rows essentially are replaced. Well, him, him especially, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you think it's a rule of nature that we just can't build 140 kilo men that can sustain that level of athleticism and ex- energy expense for 80 minutes? We probably can. It just might take another 10 years for the athletic development to catch up. Uh, when that happens, rugby could die as a sport because if you have men that big able to run for that long, the odds of serious injury just goes through the absolute roof. Some would argue that we're getting close to that anyway and that I have heard you in a different context and perhaps in an emotional moment in the past describe the, the South African second half style of rugby as anti-rugby. Would you still stand over that? I don't think I've ever said I was anti-rugby. It's no, just... not, not you were anti-rugby, but the style is 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 anti-rugby in the sense that it's no, a style of rugby. No, because no... No, rug- rugby at its, phys- at its core is a collision sport. And if you can... South African, now, again, they got incredibly lucky that France did make those three errors in that first half. Because minus those three errors, it doesn't matter how good the South African bench is and how big they are and how much depth they have. They ain't, South Africa are not built to come back from a 20-point deficit. No matter how good, like, if you look at their their, their attacking numbers throughout, in all the games that they, big matches that they've played, are rubbish. Like, against Ireland, less than half of their attacks um, ended in a positive outcome so that means less than half their attacks avoided a penalty or a turnover and similarly enough against France only 60% were, were positive attacks that those are really low so that means South Africa for all their forward go forward bish you know power in that second half generally speaking they don't most of those don't go anywhere because if you make them start from deep those are really effective once you get into the 22 because it's impossible to stop but you can't build an attack like that from 50 meters out you need your back line to be to be creating breaks and south africa's back line only creates breaks uh off mistakes so it's 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 not and it's anti-rugby in the sense that it's anti-attacking rugby because their attack is, 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 is poor it's awful but they win a load of collisions and back themselves to stay in the game long enough that their bench can can a win scrum penalties to kick themselves into good positions, and B then just drive drive you over from from close range, which is exactly what they did. So it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it works. Well, that's my that's the point I think, which is certainly a point that I would make is that that style of rugby, which is as I say, the second half rather than the first half of the game over the weekend, uh, that I don't think it's a style of rugby that's sustainable for two reasons. One, most people, certainly neutrals don't particularly want to watch it and tend to switch off when that kind of rugby is being played. And it is so physical, it is so violent that there are just going to be too many people uh, getting hurt. Potentially. Uh, it, it seemed like that at times last night in the South Africa game. Uh, bodies littered all over the place at various stages, albeit I don't think there was anything particularly serious from either camp. Um, it's... I think the point you're trying to make is that it's a destructive rather than constructive game plan. Mm-hmm. It's all about the game plan is how do we completely destroy the opposition's game plan rather than imposing our own game plan and philosophy. South Africa would argue that that is just simply them imposing their own game plan. Their game plan is to, to dominate you. Um, it's It makes for a fantastic spectacle when you have a side that can put it up with them physically, which France could for, for, for 50 minutes of that game last night. And that's when it's brilliant because if you have two sides going at it, hammer and tongs, um, 
the likes of Winnie Antonio taking on South African defenders, South African jacklers getting blasted out of it by the French back row. Brilliant contest. Problem is when they play against a side like England next week, they won't be able to get anywhere near to that fever pitch and that level of 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 physicality because that, that that level of physicality yes it's it's physical you need to be big enough but most most players at this level are pretty big it's it's just it's mental i just don't think england can get anywhere near that fever pitch of a french side in the stade de france that's when it's a bad it's a bad spectacle because it just turns into grinding them out penalty penalty grinding them out the odd mole try maybe one or two scores off mistakes if england make them but yeah when it when it's a mismatch that's when it's just it's it's awful to watch because they're just slowly crushing them, which is not necessarily what neutrals want to see. Final comment or question about the game. The French nine. What did you think? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. thought he was excellent. Uh, that first half, though, I said they played completely off him. He made his speed of delivery. The r- r- part of the ruck speed is, is the ruck speed needs to be quick. The clear outs needs to be quick, but also the nine needs to get the ball away really quickly. He does that almost. He, was, he looked to me to be out on his feet at the end, but then many of them did. He was, uh, but the decisions he made, like there was one break in that second half where I think the ruck was basically on the touchline. There was no blindside, but he somehow found a sliver of space down that blindside and made a break. It was fantastic. Some of his attacking kicks over the top were brilliant. Um, the only thing I would say was he 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 took less of control of the game in, in that second half. They played more off the out half, Matthew Jolibert, more than they did in that first half, and and that actually cost them two or three attacks because South Africa were able to come up and and swarm him and for force mistakes. Um, maybe maybe again it's impossible for him to control a match for eighty minutes, but if if there was anyone who who could do it, it, it would be him. But no, I think he I think he played so magnificently well. That conversation about the halves, I think we'll draw the line under that game. In, not least, we could talk about it all day, but in the interest of time, let's get back to the other game, the one that disappointed all of us so much. So I'm going to start with a question that is going to verge on blasphemy. I hope you don't mind. Um, you probably will. And you'll, I'm glad that I'm not actually sitting in the same room because I think you might take a swing at me for this question. Was it a game too far for Johnny Sexton? No. Um... I'm asking in the context of that decision a few years ago by... Gatland in Australia to drop Brian O'Driscoll that everybody went mental about but in the end turned out to have been a smart decision given the result of the game at least. No because Ireland should have won that game regardless they had enough chances enough opportunities to win that game Sexton was out on his feet from about the 60th minute onwards but he still popped up just about enough times on the ball to, to he orchestrated that final attack granted I did think in that last 30-foot-plus phase attack where they travelled 50, 60 metres into the 22, 
um, when they played off Sexton, New Zealand looked ready for it. Whereas when someone like Ringrose or Keenan kind of came late into the line and, and, and looked a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more dangerous, they did make those half breaks. So you could say maybe a fresher pair of legs at 10 um, potentially exacerbates that threat. But then equally, you you are just removing that that decision-making experience and, and wealth of knowledge. And yeah, look, I think it's a brave man to take out Johnny Sexton in a game like that. Uh, I don't think Johnny Sexton was the reason why Ireland lost that game. So I, I wouldn't go that far. Like I said, Ireland had chances. Um there's three main ones that stick to my mind and I think they kind of nicely encapsulate what can go wrong in games like that. Generally speaking, when individual moments decide matches, it's either the other team were just really good, uh, you made a mistake or you just didn't have any luck and Ireland kind of had all three. I mean, the big one that everyone will remember is Ronan Kelleher getting held up over the line, you know, 15, 20 minutes after Ireland just had another really positive maul. So everyone thought that was going to be another maul try. Brilliant defence from Jordy Barrett to get underneath the maul. Um, you could say Kelleher shouldn't be getting held up over the line at the back of a mall. Um, maybe a little bit harsh, but something potentially there, but mainly opposition brilliance there. The mistake was, so if you remember when Aaron Smith was in the sin bin, uh, Ireland decided to kick wide, high contestable balls because New Zealand were narrow in defence because obviously they only had 14 men. And equally, they defend with their out half on the wing, who's very small. So they said, right, well, they're narrow anyway. And they got a small guy in the wing, so let's put a tall guy next to him and, and beat him in the air. The mistake was Omahani had a high ball five metres out from the line against Omahani, line-out supremo, supremo, normally really good in the air um, on that on that facet of the game. You back him to, to he's you know six foot plus, Mwanga's not six foot, beat him in the air, comfortably got above him, drops the ball, catches that ball, he scores. There's the individual mistake. And then the luck was, again, another crossfield kick, uh, Dan Sheehan's holding his width. Mac Hansen kicks it. It's a beautiful kick. Bounces, you know, in the right spot. Just it bounces three inches too high and over his head and out of play. Whereas on another day, more favourable bounce, he catches that and he scores. So that's why I think you look at those things and you go, yes, one of those was a mistake and you can criticise Ireland for that. But the other two, on another day, so easily go Ireland's way and they win that match. And I think, again, those things happened away from Sexton. Um, Ireland have developed an ability to play not completely reliant on him and they should have won while not being reliant on him uh, in my opinion I think again looking back over the match Ireland again did all the attacking most carries most metres made concretely most line breaks most defenders beaten most offloads and the problem is they scored uh, three points fewer per 22 visit than New Zealand and 18% of their attacks New Zealand had 18% more of their attacks end positively. Um, there you go. That's the game. That's the I, th- game. I think then that one of the criticisms one might make, not of the team, but of the way in which numbers uh, are used to predict or not predict certain outcomes. And that's not just in sport. I can, my own area of finance speaks to that. But people don't understand uh, the relationship between inputs of numbers and analysis and then the predictions that you make on the back of it in sort of a big picture point to make is that sport is sport and it isn't fully predictable by the numbers that's life in general not just sport and so that's the beauty of sport the second thing is we're dealing with statistics and what we're doing is looking at kind of sorry to use a bit of jargon for a second probability distribution so we're saying that if you looked at those stats from that game you would say that um, something like in 90 out of 100 games between Ireland and New Zealand if those were the stats 90 of them would result in Irish wins but well, according, according, according to the metrics that, that I always read and trust, you know, 
we everyone knows about expected goals in football, expected points in rugby is seeping in. Ireland were seven points better than New Zealand, according to the metric. I think, you know, 31 points something versus 24 points something was the expected outcome based on what happened on the night, not a predictive outcome based on inputting it. We input all of these things that happened nine times out of 10, Ireland scored 31 points. They, they scored 28. Um, New Zealand actually were pretty much, uh, I think the New Zealand didn't outperform their, their yeah. numbers by that much. They were, but anyway, my, so, my but point still stands. That, it, 100% that, it still stands, but that, I think that just kind of backs up the, what your point yeah, is. Like. That 90 times out of 100, when Ireland play that way and New Zealand play that way, 90 times out of 100, Ireland's going to win. But 10 times out of 100, they're not because random things like luck that you mentioned, errors. Which is or, variance. It's just statistical variance. Yes, absolutely. Um, the bounce and, of the ball. And, the bounce of the ball is the perfect metaphor for statistical variance because, especially because it's a rugby ball, oval shape, it's unpredictable. You know, it lands at its nose, it goes straight up, it lands on its flat, it sits down. You know, that is the perfect metaphor for statistical variance, and it happened to Ireland, and Ireland came out on the wrong side of it. That said, all of that kind of does risk diminishing that New Zealand played probably as well as they played in the last four years. Exactly. And um, in an individual match. They, 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 initially for the first 20 minutes their defensive breakdown work was excellent Sam Kane was excellent with his defending just physicality in the tackle um, and they caused Ireland problems at the line edge. by and large Ireland fixed those issues and when they managed to after the first 20 minutes after they went 13-0 down when they held onto the ball when their attacking breakdown work was more accurate and they got rid of the New Zealand defenders out of the way and when they went to the front of the line out and secured more ball they held onto the ball they went through the phases they looked really dangerous and they scored a couple of times they should have scored more. Like I said, um, their points per visit to the twenty-two was only one, they only scored one point one and a half points per visit. I mean, look look at here. Ireland had fourteen visits to the twenty-two. New Zealand six. New Zealand scored over four points per visit. Ireland scored less than two. Again, there we go. A lot of that was New Zealand breakdown turnovers, New Zealand lineout steals, all of that. But I think even if you isolate those and you say that there's New Zealand playing well, give them the credit for that there were still enough opportunities in there where Ireland just didn't execute and that had nothing to do with the opposition. That was just their own either luck or lack of execution. And that's the killer from an Irish point of view because two, one, of, one of those being taken elevates your performance by 10% and you at an 80% performance beat New Zealand who are at probably at 110%. Um, that's not obviously not statistical at all because you can't be at 100%. But the point still stands. That is, as in my opinion, that is as good as New Zealand can be and probably a little bit better actually based on what we've seen whereas Ireland are nowhere not nowhere near because they did actually play quite well at patches but they weren't at their capacity and even with New Zealand playing really really well if Ireland was slightly closer to capacity for reasons that they could control and a smidge of luck they would have won which is the frustrating thing I said all along Ireland they're a better rugby team than New Zealand and if they show that they'll win it doesn't matter what New Zealand do and that came very very close to happening Yes, and I suspect, as I, as I say, that if you just repeated that experiment a multiple number of times, 90% of the time, Ireland would will would win if you just replicated. That's what statistics is, is all about, um, uh, repeated experiments. But we don't repeat the experiment that often. It's only every four years. So um, going on from here, I think that the Irish, the Irish setup could take a great deal of encouragement from what we've said in that there, there's not a lot wrong. But of course, one of the things that's happening now is that there is a, a smallish cohort of players that either at the end are at the end of their careers right now, or at the end of this season will be at the end of their seasons right now. Do you think that the the structure is in place that uh, uh, that's going to be serious, or it's just going to be business as usual? 
Uh, no, not serious. Um, I think you look at who was in this squad and didn't play much. Jimmy O'Brien played excellently when he came on, by the way, um, on, on the on the weekend. He's going to come into that team somewhere at some point. Ryan Baird is going to come into that team somewhere at some point. James Ryan's going to come back in. Um, yeah, so you look at you know you look at the gaps. Omani probably will play another Six Nations, maybe in one more after that. If he feels his contract expires at the end of the season, you've got someone like Ryan Baird to come in there. Um, plus, you can shift Irish to six and play Conan at eight. The Irish back row is solid. Sexton's gone. That's huge. But I think people do look at someone like Crowley and say, right, he's not going to be Johnny. But the fact that we don't rely on Sexton as much as we used to, and Crowley is clearly an excellent player with a who has got a big game temperament. He slots match winning drop goals from Munster in URC semifinals, etc. There is an expectation there that that gap that's not going to be as much of a drop off, and it might take a year or two for him to become a world class out half. But he could get there. Plus, in four years' time, you could have Sam Prandias at Leinster, who everyone is raving and ranting. So. Those are the two immediate ones. Keith Earls is retired as well, but again, I think Ireland are well set in the back three with Lowe, Hansen and, and O'Brien, even Keenan as well. Um, the big one for me is, and this we won't see this for a while because quite a lot of this squad won't make the next World Cup, but they'll still be there probably for the next two years. So Bundyaki, he's 33, he'll probably get another two years out of him. Um, Ian Henderson is 33 again, I think another couple of years potentially. Uh, Ty Burns, 31, could go to the next World Cup. So there's there's enough people there who are question marks about. The, the big one is is Tidehead prop. That's the one area that Ireland don't have someone who either is or could potentially be a world-class option coming through. I don't think Ty Farnham is going to go to the next World Cup. No. Um, Tidehead prop is, as we, saw, as we saw with France, their Tidehead went off and it lost in the game because South Africa kept getting scrum penalties. Um it is one of the most underrated positions by fans in world rugby. It's not underrated by world rugby because c- clubs pay their tight head props inordinate amounts of money, especially in places like France. Like Furlong could be a millionaire if he was playing in France, um, if he wanted to. Uh, that's the one position where you go, right, where's the next cab off the rank there? Um, there are options. There is a Leinster guy, Joe McCarthy's younger brother, did play tight head at under 20 level, but... I think he's been, and there, there a lot of people were very excited about him. I think he might be being shifted to the other side, uh, a la Andrew Porter. So that's the one area. But again, that that's not going to impact Ireland now. It's more likely going to impact them in two years' time. Yeah, so I would agree. Um, the front row, is, I, I never played <laughs> as a forward. I never played in the centre and the wing. And even back in the day, the, the activities of the forwards were a complete and utter mystery to me, even when they were all piled on top of me. Um, and it's a mystery as to, to me it's a why anybody does it b how they can possibly enjoy it but I've always known that that front row and particularly the the tight head prop position particularly so in the modern game I think I think it is a slight change from my youth it it, it is an absolutely vital position that, as you say is vastly underrated by your average rugby fan but uh, most it, rugby it, fans I think it, are becoming more and more uh, aware of the significance of it because of Furlong in Ireland, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it is worth just saying, I mean, this physicality thing that Ireland have seemingly gotten over, like I said, we've said it a hundred times before, but we all remember Ireland going to Twickenham year on year and getting battered by an English side. And then kind of 18 months, two years ago, they kind of picked players and moved players' positions that sorted that out. 
that that should only become a further strength. You look at the under twenties and especially down in Munster, there's some second rows and back rows that are coming through that are just big, big men and athletic and dynamic. Like they're all kind of mini versions of Caelan Dara, so to speak. Will they be that good? Don't know. Um so that is encouraging, uh, which is why, again, the systems are there. It's not just Andy Farrell's done a really good job with his group of players. He's gotten lucky that in his first four years, he's had a really good group of players. Um, he's empowered them to kind of be mentally better than they were in previous regimes, which is such a shame because uh, in previous World Cup draws, Ireland walked through to a semi-final. We've mentioned the draw a hundred times. It's a travesty that the two best teams in the world, rankings-wise, have gone. Um, but... Ireland are mentally better equipped than they ever have been. They have a really good generation of players. Most of them won't go to the next World Cup, but that won't be an issue for two years' time. But what's coming up next and the systems, the academies, the 20s, you should be hopeful that, look, are Ireland going to be this good in four years' time? Impossible to say. There shouldn't be a massive drop-off. But put it this way, it wouldn't surprise me if in four years' time they lose a quarter-final to South Africa because they don't have a world-class tight head. Which is the only thing that would concern me right now, but that's this is major crystal ball gazing. That's absolutely. But on that theme, do you think Andy Farrell has another World Cup with Ireland in him? I think he's contracted for another two years. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, I think he absolutely has it in him because he's got the respect of the players, and I don't know. He doesn't strike me as a coach whose methods get stale, mainly because he is. He preaches adaptability, therefore he is adaptable. He will do things differently himself. He will probably bring in different coaches at some point to work underneath him. That's how they'll avoid things getting stale. Um, the big thing is, you know, if the Borthwick-England thing goes belly up, do England come calling? And as a proud Englishman, does he feel that kind of pull to try and go resurrect them? The positive thing for Ireland is England reaching a semi-final probably means Borthwick safe for another 12 months to two years, potentially. Um, I think that would be the only job Farrell would leave for um, if Ireland tried to sign, get him to sign on the dotted line for another World Cup cycle right now. Look, the competitor in him might say, yeah, I want another crack at it because he's put so much into this group. Um, but the other thing is, if he goes, let's say if he does go in two years' time, I think the next the next candidate is Ronan O'Gara. And I think that would excite a lot of people um, based on what he's done in his coaching career. So it's, I think he certainly has it in him. It's just a, it's all a question of outside factors. Um, and I think the only job that would pull him away from Ireland is, is England, I think. Last question, uh, back to this World Cup. I presume, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, that you'd be backing South Africa for the win? Yeah, frustratingly, I, would, I, I think I would have liked to have seen a French win just because they deserved a better reward for the way that they game planned and executed that game plan based purely on their strengths to nullify South Africa. Um, it would have been very satisfying from a kind of tactical analysis point of view to see that result in a win. Um, and then obviously a home World Cup, it would have been brilliant television to, to, to watch them go on a run into the semi-final and final. Um, yeah, I think, I don't think New Zealand have that in them to do what France did for 40 minutes to, to South Africa to the same extent. I think they can do it a little bit. They do have certain ball for for. for forward ball carriers that can do that what Antonio and Greg Aldred did but uh, that that's that New Zealand front row is is prime candidate for South Africa just destroying that in the set piece and and grinding their way to a to a win in a final I think okay Nathan thanks again uh, that's Nathan Johns journalist with the Irish Times sharing us sharing with us his insights from the weekend even though Ireland and Wales are no longer there I 
sincerely hope he'll come back over the next two weekends to talk about the semi-finals and indeed the final itself. So I look forward to those conversations. Thanks a lot, Nathan. Cheers. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rustoleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustoleum. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.